everybody, welcome back to the Life is Love School channel. Today we are going to talk about a hot topic, which is how to heal the anxious, preoccupied attachment style. So where did this style come from? So generally, attachment styles come from our childhood experience. So people that have a anxious attachment styles are often raised by parents that exhibit inconsistencies towards their uh, caregiving to the child. So this parent oftentimes is emotionally immature. They have problems regulating their own emotions. So sometimes they're a wonderful parent, very loving, very caring, very emotionally attuned. Other times the parent may be overwhelmed, too busy, stressed out, depressed, and isn't quite there. So this parent is just not dependable. Sometimes they're great, sometimes they're not that great. So then what the kid learned is that there is no stability. And so then the kid becomes hyper attuned to how the parent is feeling. So they're very worried that today is a bad day and that maybe they won't get picked up from school in time. Maybe they're not going to have their school supplies ready for when they need it, etc. So then the child learns to be watching the parent's moods very carefully, trying to manage the parent's mood by being the perfect child or trying to be the invisible child, expressing no need, so that hopefully the parent wouldn't feel stressed out. A lot of times the kid would internalize this inconsistency as, I'm fundamentally not lovable, but if I act as the perfect child, if I get good grades, if I stay out of trouble, if I do everything the parent wants, if I'm there to be my parent's confidant and soothe them, then maybe, I will be safe. Maybe they will be the good parent for me. So this sets up a person when they grow up to become the quintessential people pleaser. So this person, whether at work or in a friendship, a romantic relationship, especially their emotions is highly attuned to the other persons. So if the other person, say, for example, frowns at them, it may have nothing to do with this um, person, but an anxiously attached person would tend to internalize anybody else's reaction as it must be me. It must be my fault. I must have done something wrong. I must have not been perfect enough. And the, uh, the underlying message that the anxious attached person has is uh, I'm not perfect enough. Obviously, I'm not lovable just being who I am. So if I don't serve, I can't earn love, I have to earn love, etc. And it becomes a very um, roller coaster type of mindset because there's a lack of stability that they internalize from when they were a children to when they're now an adult. So um, like I said, a lot of this trauma comes from a childhood. So realizing where it came from is a very important first step when you feel triggered. Now, when we engage in a romantic relationship in particular, it has a tendency to build, to bring out any trauma that is yet unhealed. Because when we are in a romantic relationship, we're especially vulnerable. It's a relationship level that's deeper than the attachment we have for a friend or a classmate or a coworker. And so a lot of the unhealed trauma then gets, um, comes out. And so it's really important to understand the difference between a healthy relationship and a relationship that is unhealthy. So a healthy relationship is what is called interdependence, is people are actually um, emotionally interdependent, meaning that they love and respect each other because they first love and respect themselves. 
Whereas a toxic relationship is two people, two wounded soul. That's what they say, the dance of the two wounded soul. Neither person love or respect themselves. So guess what? They try to get the love and respect that they do not feel for themselves from the other person. So if I'm an anxiously attached uh, person, I don't love or respect myself. I'm hoping that if, I, if I'm a good girl, if I'm a good boyfriend, then my partner will shower me with compliments and affection, and that will shore up my self-esteem and make me feel better. But of course, anytime that we are dependent on another person to make us feel good, we are at their mercy and life feels very much out of control. So that's the root of where that issue comes from. So knowing that fundamentally the way to heal from anxious attachment style is to first trace where it came from in childhood and then to heal that part of ourselves that feels unlovable. Ultimately, it is a story that we tell ourselves. So when we were a child and we suffered at the hands of our parents, it's very natural to say, oh, it must be because I'm not a perfect child. If I were the perfect child, if I were prettier, if I were smarter, if I were taller, whatever it may be, my parents would have loved me, right? It's the way that a child thinks. But as an adult, we get to revisit that story and say, does it still make sense? Does that make sense? And I think we, if we sit down and we objectively think about it, we would tell, we would know that it does not make sense. A bad behavior by a caregiver does not say anything about the child. It's simply the caregiver not being emotionally mature enough to help the child feel loved and accepted. It has nothing to do with the child. So realizing this, I hope it helps you understand where the wound comes from and that you no longer have to feel that you're not enough just by being you because you are enough. Our value is inherent. It has nothing to do with how our parents may have treated us or may not, may not have given us the love that we needed. It doesn't change our value. It's simply a reflection of their own immaturity. Now, um, in terms of how to process when you are feeling triggered, there's a couple steps to go through. So first of all, to recognize exactly what happened. So this is talking about what happened in a very uh, observer stance. So only about the facts. So let's say, for example, um, you're feeling very triggered because you text your boyfriend asking him about movie plans tonight, and it's been two hours. You haven't heard any response back. Whereas generally he does respond, you know, within the hour or so, and you're starting to get anxious because you're thinking, oh, you know, how did I say something wrong last night? Did I um, lose his affection? Why is he ignoring me? So your head starts to spin these stories, right? But the what happened isn't a story. The what happened is I text him two hours ago and he hasn't yet text back. So how did that make you think and feel? Because a lot of times we don't actually ask the question. We just start feeling really anxious, start to want to do something, to jab back at the person, etc. We start to react immediately. So step two is actually to ask yourself, how do you think and feel? Well, I would say that in this case, you're feeling anxious. You might feel a little disappointed. You might feel let down. You might feel abandoned, right? This is how you feel. What are you thinking? You're thinking that I must have done something wrong. He must have no longer have as much affection over me. He's probably tired of me at that point. So those are the thought processes. Now, I want you then on step three and four 
to play the role of a lawyer. So you're representing the case, both for and against. So number three is what is the supporting evidence? So the supporting evidence is oftentimes it gets back to me sooner than that. That's the supporting evidence, right? So maybe today something changes, but two hours. Usually he responds within the hour. Okay, that's a supporting evidence. A little bit flimsy, but that's a supporting evidence. Number four is what is the counter evidence? Well, the counter evidence is, you know, he, for example, has told me before that he has his phone uh, on silence when he's in a meeting and lately he's been really busy. Or it could be, you know, he's been always been very consistent. He's never done anything to make me feel that um, our relationship is in any way not in good shape. We are, we have great communication. He's always been very faithful. He's been a wonderful boyfriend. There's really no reason to doubt him, right? So you, you have to present both sides because a lot of times when we feel bad, our mind only thinks of all the supporting evidences. It's a very natural response. And in psychology, it's called filtering. So you filter out everything that's counter to how you're feeling and you like laser focus on all the things that support how you feel. And you can see that cycle, right? The worse you feel, the more evidence you look for to support how bad you should feel. So then you feel worse and you look for more evidence to support how bad you should feel. So then you start getting into a funk. So the process here is to ask you to please be objective and to come up with evidence that's for the other side as well, right? You gotta be fair in life. And so you can think about this as you're literally taking a, um, like a, an airplane and you're taking the airplane view. So you get the entire landscape instead of just like looking at the tree, like that one tree that's bothering you. So that's the, that's the, um, the exercise here. And then step five is now that you've seen both sides, evidence for and evidence against how you feel and think, what do you think is a more balanced way to think about the solution? Right. I would say that given this example, it's likely that, you know, he just hasn't responded in two, three hours. It's only one hour longer. He might be having a busy day. He's always been a very consistent and loyal husband, boyfriend. There's no reason I should just because he's a little bit late on text to get so riled up and feel so anxious. Right. You can journal about this, too. A lot of times journaling helps. Because what it does is it allows us to take a step back and not get so tied up into a story so that the story then becomes a reality. When you put it on a piece of paper and you look at it, you have more of a third party view, right? As if you're advising a friend. If a friend were to tell you like, I'm totally freaking out. My boyfriend must be having an affair because I texted him three hours ago. I haven't heard back. Um, they would probably tell you that you are over worried, right? So when you put things on a piece of paper, like a journal, you could see it more as I'm taking a third party view. I'm giving myself advice as if I'm giving the advice to a friend. And that oftentimes helps a lot. Now, the last point, number six, is what can you do to cope in this situation? So there are many ways that you could do it. You could go for a walk because now that you realize that you're just probably worried over nothing. You could phone a friend, right? Those are all options. You could talk about it. You could journal. You can listen to music. You can uh, play with your pets, right? That might make you feel better. Play the piano, etc. There are many ways that you could soothe yourself or meditate is a favorite of many people. And of course, you can always also talk to your boyfriend. 
there's no longer a reason then to be accusatory. You might just say, hey, you know, I realize that today I haven't heard from you for a while. Um, were you really busy? Because, and if you really trust him, and I would actually encourage if it's a, it's a healthy and trusting relationship, there's no reason that you cannot share, share your fears with him. And then help him actually go one step further, help him understand where it came from. So the more you help your partner know about you, the better your communication would be because then he would know that if sometimes you slip up and you exhibit protest behavior, right? You get angry at him um, instead of communicating. He wouldn't take it personally because he'll just be like, oh yeah, it's just Yume, right? Like Yume's parents were inconsistent. So when I show up late or when I don't text her as quickly as she like, she starts to protest, starts to clean, etc. It's not about me. Let me help reach out to her, let me help assure her, etc. So a lot of times you can actually enlist your partner's help, um, not in a dependent way, but in a supportive role so that you are both having understanding. So this goes both ways as well, right? When you're triggered, oftentimes it, it also triggers your partner because you guys get into a fight, both sides are triggered. So you could do another exercise, which I'm happy to do in another video if there's interest of how do you work your, with your partner when you're both triggered by each other and it traces back your, to your childhood wound? So if there's interest, definitely comment below and let me know and I'll do a video. Now, of course, the best way to, uh, one of the best ways to heal yourself is actually to choose a relationship, if at all possible, with somebody who is secure. So the good news is about 60% of people in this world are securely attached, right? That's fantastic. The rest, 40% are insecurely attached and it's roughly half-half between the avoidance and the anxious preoccupied. Now, if you happen to date somebody who's an avoidant, it tends to exacerbate your anxious anxiety style because the more you chase, the more they run, the more they run, the more you want to chase. So it just exacerbates both people's um, triggers. So that is generally not very helpful. Um, it doesn't mean that it's not workable. So if there's also interest in this one, I'm happy to do a video on how do you work with an anxious partner. But if you have a choice, choose a secure person. Because when you are insecure, the secure person is more able to then reach out to you and help bring you back to emotional balance because they will not be running. They would actually be leaning in to help to soothe you as well. So, and then also there's modeling of behavior. So if you are with a, a healthier person, just like if you're trying to lose weight, if your partner is really into exercise and eating well, it's much easier for you to also get on the healthier track than if your partner really loves ice cream and bacon. It's the same theory. Now, another thing to note is that early in the relationship, especially uh, a mistake that people make if they have the anxious attachment style, which generally goes along with people pleasing, is that they overgive very, very early on in relationships. So they tend to, you know, fall in love easily, fall into a huge crush like the guy just based on your, their Instagram photos or their dating profile. And they start having all these imaginations of how perfect the relationship is going to be. Start, you know, how would their last name and my last name sound? How many kids are we going to have? So they totally go ahead of themselves. So they have all this fantasy life with this person without actually knowing the person. So the goal of dating is actually to get to know the other person. Don't make assumptions. Don't make this assumption that this 
person is going to be my perfect partner because you really don't know. So what you want to do is to watch uh, what they do carefully and see if it aligns with who they say they are, right? Everybody can talk, but can they walk the walk? And then you invest to match. You don't want to overinvest because when you overinvest, the more you give, the more you feel like if you were to leave the relationship, you have something to lose because you already invested so much. The sunk cost fallacy is going to work against you. So what you want to do is to, when they take a step, you take a step. When you take a step and you want to see if they also take a step and you just kind of match that. That's the best. And basically guard your heart as you get to know the person and then, you know, start to, um, you, you could invest more emotionally as they invest more emotionally, invest more resources as they invest more resources, invest more time as they invest more time. That's also a way for you to respect yourself, right? Because you know that you're valuable, you have value to bring. So you do not need to overgive to earn love. So the mentality of I have to overgive, I have to please is because I feel like I'm not worthwhile. Therefore, I have to go above and beyond to prove that I am, you know, worth having a relationship with. But if you love yourself and you believe in your value, you don't do that. So you can also do outside in, even if you don't feel like you're valuable, act as if, and then eventually your feelings and your behavior will catch up. It's just how the psychology works. Now, so, um, so to conclude, I think the important thing is to uh, realize, first of all, where the attachment style came from, trace it all the way back to childhood, and to remind yourself that you are now an adult, right? You're fully grown men, women with adult resources. So even if, let's say that your partner one day just vanishes, and it does happen to people from time to time, we do get ghosted. Are we going to starve? No, we're not going to starve. Are we still going to have a place to live? Yes, we're going to have a place to live, etc. And then we could, you know, we could get a job, we rent a place, we have our own finances, etc. So it's not going to be the end of the world. Of course, it's not going to be comfortable, but we have coping mechanism. We can deal with it. We have the resources to deal with it. And then to go through the uh, one, two, three, four, five, six process that I outlined in the video to journal and to help bring our emotions back down to what is more reasonable. So we no longer filter out the counter evidences against how we are feeling. So we don't get into this loop of continuously feeding more thoughts that drive more bad emotions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then, of course, um, if at all possible, choose to be in a relationship with somebody who is secure, who is emotionally mature and healthy. So that will just make your life a lot easier. I hope you find today's information helpful. As always, these questions come up in my women-only coaching group. And if you like discussions like this, I personally love it. And I love having discussions with the women in the group. They're a very, very supportive group of people, very wise, and people are just very open to sharing their experience and actually how they got out of toxic relationship and how they healed. And just listening to people's experience itself is a huge learning experience. And I feel like I not only give to the group, but I also get so much back. So I hope that you'll join us. And of course, if you like the video, please like and subscribe and share it with your friends. Until next time, have a great week.